0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. College football, we're closing in on bowl games. We've got signing day coming up tomorrow. And we still got coaching searches, PK. Fresno State still needs a guy. Fresno B says Indiana's offensive coordinator is the leading candidate. New Mexico still needs somebody. Who will it be? They're looking at a sun devil. Yeah, I wouldn't rule out Urban. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> For my final coaching job and my best ever, I going to prove my great. I'm going to take New Mexico from nowhere to everywhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, right now it looks like uh, from speaking to people down in Arizona it's two folks and something has come out that I had heard and it makes sense putting the pieces together. Uh, Danny Gonzalez is the Sun Devil defensive coordinator, and he's a New
0: Mexico guy. A former Lobo walk-on. Correct. Played in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Played for Rocky. And he's right? been he's been right. working his way up. Mm-hmm. And he speaks about yeah. how uh, Bronco
1: and Rocky were his mentors, because obviously they coached at uh, New Mexico. One was the head coach, and, and Bronco was Rocky's defensive coordinator before he came to Provo.
0: And then Danny was Rocky's defensive coordinator at San Diego State, and that got him the ASU job with Mm -hmm. Herm. Yeah, So So, he's got extensive background. Pac-12 coordinator ready to go back to the Mountain West, and it's his hometown.
1: New Mexico means something to him. Albuquerque means something to him. UNM means something to him. All those state, city, school. Uh, The rest of us, not so much. But I had heard it was a two, and and Herm spoke about it yesterday because at their first media gathering back as they, get back off the road and and start practicing for the bowl game and he said yeah he's in the running and uh, you know if he gets it great be awesome I hope he gets it if that's what he wants and and you pretty much have to do that if a guy's going to get a head coaching job nobody stands in their way by any stretch right?
0: Gotta allow coordinators to improve themselves. Yeah
1: and and Herm spoke about that yesterday so it's obvious he's a candidate and as soon as uh, the uh, Davies thing came out it was going to be obvious that Gonzalez would be there, but then they said there's another candidate, and I'd heard Jay Hill's name mentioned. Uh, but then you're able to piece it together because football it's a FootballScoop.com, is that what it is? FootballScoop.com, and those those guys uh, they're pretty sharp. They're usually all over that stuff. That's what they do all day, every day. And they said that they're not going to have a coach in place for signing day, which is unusual. Uh, with signing day being tomorrow, but they said they're not going to have a uh, coach in place because they believe the leading candidate is still coaching in the FCS playoffs.
0: Well, there's only four teams still playing. That's they're correct. down to the semis, yes. and two of them are from the big sky. It's Weber State and Montana State. Yeah. So doing a little deduction there, Sherlock. Doesn't take much. It yeah. <laughs> doesn't.
1: Uh, and, and I guess that they mentioned Jay Hill's name in this story. So his name is now out there. Well, I'm not putting it out there. I had heard about it, but they are putting it out there. The thing that I didn't know, and I still don't know, is would Jay seriously take the job? Is is his interest to the point where if the offer was good enough and all that stuff, he would say
0: yes. I don't know that. Because there could be the thought that, uh, the only way to get better at interviewing is to interview. And so put your name out there, do the interview, get a raise where you are and stay where you are.
1: Yeah, plus I don't know what how deep they've gone because he's preparing his team obviously for
0: last week and for this week. So is New Mexico. So he's for, busy. Waiting for announcement or waiting to do an interview.
1: Yeah, to what level. There could have been I don't I don't know any of this. I'm just guessing here. Could have been on the phone. Yeah, I'm interested, but I, hey, you got to wait because I got this here and mm-hmm. this has got to have my attention, which makes sense. And I had heard that Gonzalez wants the job, the D coordinator, and that's his hometown. And so they can, they know they got him. And whether he, whether they offer it officially today, tomorrow, next week, he's going to say yes. So they may think, well, if Jay, we can wait. Because we only have to wait another week, week and a half, right? And then the thing's over, uh, well, right?
0: The, the championship game is January 11th, okay. right? You'd have a three-week gap. but They can get past the semi, yeah, and they'll be time, Right. Well, as it's, opposed to he's been in week to week. Right,
1: right. That's what I mean, yeah. So to
0: fly out and do an interview. It, so there's we'll lose hardly any prep- time, yeah. Right. To PK's point,
1: they mentioned Craig Bull, Wyoming's coach, when he was at North Dakota State. He yeah. He took the job at Wyoming, right. then went and coached them in that championship right. game. Yeah. So... They don't play next week, but there's time in between, and that's standard in this business to wait. To take the job, and then you wait a couple of weeks and and finish up what you're doing.
0: Not knowing the particulars, but just knowing how this stuff generally works in the industry. If it were already a done deal, and Gonzalez knew he was second, he would pull his name out. The fact that he hasn't makes me think it is not a done deal that the process is just kind of on pause.
1: Right, because Jay doesn't have any time. Right. So, yeah, it all makes sense if Jay wants it, and but he has to agree. to I don't know, A, if he wants it. I don't know if they're going to give him what he wants. There's, all, there's stuff that I don't know about, but I heard his name connected to it, and then when I heard this morning, well, they're waiting for an FCS coach to get done, well, then it was obvious. And Jay, my gosh, he's done such a phenomenal
0: job here. I mean, I would think there'd be programs circling for him. Three straight conference titles and three straight t- trips to the quarters, and now the fir- the school's first trip ever to the semis. So why wouldn't New Mexico be? This interested? is one
1: of the great coaching jobs
0: in our state that Jay Hill has done. It- it- it's obvious. Taking them to the high water mark where they've never been before. Yeah, this
1: is. You know, Lavelle Edwards, in terms of football, is the ultimate job that he did from where they were. Taking them to the high-water mark where they'd never been before. Right. And so I'm not going to compare that. But on his level, I can compare it to what Ron McBride did at Utah on his level. It's a lower level, but what he did you're putting in the same amount of work and the same amount of intensity. You know, right. just
0: the players are a little bit better at the Whack and Mountain West level. Every, everybody's an inch shorter yeah. and uh, 10 pounds lighter but and it, a that, step slower. That's all even. It's a, it's a wash against yeah. the other teams in the big Sky. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so what he's done has just been absolutely remarkable. So if I'm New Mexico and I got a chance to get a, a player or a coach, excuse me, of his
0: caliber. I'd wait too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would wait too. Especially since I only have to wait a week, a week and a half. Less yeah. than that now. I mean, if you if you if you lose the well, game, is free, and if of you next win next week, right? If you win the game, then uh, you get the three-week window there, and yeah,
1: I figure move it along. They should have it wrapped up by the end of next week. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, because you'd have, I well, doubt they're going to be doing a whole whole lot of interviews on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. So that's why I extend it. To the end of next week, get past Christmas, and then that ought to give you enough time uh, to figure it out. And and then I would assume that if he were to take that gig, that obviously he would coach the finals. There'd be nothing wrong with that. Assuming with they coaching. win and they're in it, right? If if they got that far, and yeah. you know, let's hope this they is, do and all that. It's
0: going to be hard though. James, I got James Madison's really good. I know. Again, and
1: they lost one. Yeah, yeah. I got it. I understand that. I, I I know that, but you know, who knows? Well, if you if you have uh, Five interceptions in a blocked punt. I like the chances. <laughs> you like the chances too. Yeah,
0: and it ought to be a low-scoring defensive game. So they, they both just played them in the quarters. we we'll, so.
1: we'll see there what happens. But then the argument is, is that New Mexico job worthy to take because they don't win big. I've been there a million times over, and I know about it. They
0: don't have much of a population. Recruiting base recruiting is off. Base. So uh, we're about to have on from 24-7 Sports, their national recruiting editor, Brandon Hoffman, and they have a page for each state where you can go and look at the, the top players and who they're leaning to or committed to. And... You know, you look at Utah, and they have like 30 or 40 players listed. And Nevada, kind of the same thing. Oregon, kind of the same thing. Uh, Arizona, even more than that. It was a massive page. And then you click on New Mexico's page, and they had two players listed. Two three-stars. And everybody else has got 30, 50, 60. This state's at a huge disadvantage. Right. They're just not, they're not cranking out D1 football players. So that's no. Really, the demographics really, of the state are obvious. It's a really hard job. It is. Yeah, I,
1: I know it. Yeah. I, I've seen. I've been there many times over. And uh, so, is it a good enough job? That's for Jay to decide, relative to what's available, and then to what he thinks might be available. Because coaches are always a they're savvy. Yeah, they,
0: they know it's a small world. It's very tightly wired. Yeah,
1: and, and I, I tell the
0: story of Urban Meyer's wife. On the phone with me one time. Asking about the ASU job. Yeah. Is it coming open? Yeah. Yeah. They're totally into that. And this thing, the football scoop, which is where we started this, uh, that website is powered by coaches. When a coach starts to get a job before it goes public, he's got to start putting a staff together. And those people have to notify who they're leaving. Yeah, that's how word leaks to football scoop. Oh, for sure, because they're wired into that world. Coaches call them and know it's one hundred percent anonymous, and so it's not necessarily the guy taking the job who leaks it, and it's not even necessarily the. It can be the people he's hiring, but can also be the people they are leaving. They have to notify.
1: Well, even if they're not involved, they know folks who are involved. Oh yeah, because I found out that Bronco got the job through Ron McBride. They all know. It's a small one. He was the one who knew that that's who the Cougars settled on.
0: And did he know from... I don't
1: know how he knew. It was a yeah. long time ago, but he right. knew. And so he said, Bronco's getting that job. So, and he's not... The way he said it, I could tell just, Okay, well, he I mean, knows. He, he's, he's got contacts all over the place. And so somebody had said something to somebody and so forth. And so, yeah. Or you find out uh, two, the way I knew that Croton got the job is the guy who was uh, in line who they interviewed. He called me and said they called me and said they're they're hiring Croton. So there's that way too. Right. The finalists,
0: the finalists yeah. get the news, and it's not them. Right.
1: And then they've been establishing a relationship, and I had established a relationship with this other dude. And so and you he,
0: call him for an update, and he's like, "Yeah, you can stop calling me for updates." He yeah, actually Here's what's in this happen. case. He, he called, called me. You. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, we will talk with Brandon Huffman, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Editor. Many questions for him. One of them, uh, how do the Utes keep getting ranked 10th, 11th, or 12th in conference recruiting and keep winning nine games? i have to run that by him. Many questions for him. Next, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And now, attention!
2: top of the wire One. on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports
0: Network. Utah Jazz in action tonight. They face the Orlando Magic, 7 o'clock, at and Sportsnet. The zone's coverage starts at 6 o'clock with Jazz game night, the pregame show. Magic were off last night. They played on Sunday. Last night, the Dallas Mavericks without Luka Doncic, who's injured. Withstand a 48-point game from Giannis Antetokounmpo and win in Milwaukee, snapping the Bucks' 18-game win streak. Mavs prevail 120 to 116. Rockets down big to the Spurs, but they wipe out a huge deficit and rally to win 109 107. USC announces they agree to a multi-year contract extension with Offensive Coordinator Graham Harrell to keep him with the USC Trojans. And the Saints pummel the Colts 34-7 Monday Night Football. Drew Brees 29 of 30. Four touchdown passes, breaking Peyton Manning's career passing touchdown record. 540, now 541 career touchdown passes for Drew Brees. Top of the Wire brought to you by Ken Garf, Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Get a new Jeep or Ram for less at Garf, West Valley Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram visit them today big, big, sure, big show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott Are You
1: ready You guys ready
0: Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated.
1: A lot of the areas that Jazz can improve comes from internal growth. Mike Conley is at the top of that list, but you got to get somebody from that bench to step up and make plays, somebody outside of Joe Ingles to be a scorer. I think that's got to be a priority, and when you look up and down that Jazz roster, you don't see a lot of pieces to move that could be appealing to teams across the league. So it's got to be all about internal improvement and finding ways to get that bench going and get Mike Conley into that mix.
2: Catch the Big Show.
0: Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Afternoons from 3 to 7. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone
2: Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, time now to talk with Brandon Huffman, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Editor. Brandon, good morning. How's it going, guys? It is going well. It is time for the high school athletes to make their decisions, sign their letters of intent. And I'm curious, the Utes... Never seem to do very well in the rankings, whether it's yours or somebody else's, and that's just what we're told because we don't look at anybody else's. We just look at yours, Brandon. We're locked down on you. Uh, but they never seem to do well in those, and yet they're averaging nine wins a year over the last six years. Uh, how do we explain that?
2: I think you just look at the coach running the program, the the longevity he's had there. Obviously, the development that his assistant coaches do at that position and just the ability to really develop those players once they get on campus. I don't think there's anybody that's done a better job on the West Coast, and you really can make an argument that nationally, nobody has done a better job developing lower-rated players, uh, if you will, and turn them into NFL prospects and and consistently win, like Kyle Whittingham has done the last decade, really since they came into the Pac-12. And so I think you just chalk it up to outstanding coaching and player development.
1: Alright, yeah, I can't argue any of that. Uh, They still need some studs when you look at their recruiting, who are some of these potential studs that they might get?
2: Well, that they might get, that's the thing. They actually could close in a really strong fashion. They are in line right now to potentially land uh, three four-star players, two from the state of Utah, uh, one being Zager Carlton, His father played for Utah in the 90s. He moved back into Salt Lake City where he was born. Uh, Earlier in the year, coming out of Central California, he visited Utah two weeks ago, canceled a visit to Washington, actually visited Ohio State in November, but it's looking like the youth are going to get him. Uh, Van Fillinger, who was one time committed to Texas out of Corner Canyon, looking like he's going to be leaning towards signing with Utah. And then Philip uh, Moai from Punahou High School over in Hawaii. He visited over the weekend, probably won't announce until February, uh, or at least sign until February, but a lot of indications are that he's going to sign with Utah. But the real big fish is the fact that they got Clark Phillips, who's the number four corner in the country, a top 50 player nationally. He's been committed to Ohio State since the summer. He took a visit to Utah over the weekend, and he's actually starting to really have second thoughts about going as far as Columbus, Ohio. Utah's one of the first schools to offer him. He took the visit this weekend, and now they there's a lot of speculation that Utah might pull off one of the bigger flips uh, in all of signing day and getting one of the pure cover top cover corners on the west coast in this class.
0: So, if you look at the nine years they've been in the Pac-12, the Utes' win total, uh, you know, is 18 wins and one bowl appearance. The first three years, the next three years, they they pretty much average nine wins a year and and have a pretty good run and win 28 games. But these last three years, they've obviously got the two division titles on top of it. So it, it looks like with kind of every group of classes, they're making progress. Should you fans expect another step forward in these next three years where they're going to look back and say, hey, that was measurably better than the three years that came before it?
2: There's no question. I and mean, while they may look at this class and say, well, how can you know, this class doesn't end if it's highly ranked considering the, the year that they've had, you usually see the bigger bump in what your previous season has done in the following recruiting class because for the majority of the recruits in the 2020 class, decisions were made in August and September or up to that point before the youth had the season that they had. A lot of these guys had already narr- made, named their top five, narrowed it down to a, school of three schools that they were looking at, I think they'll really see the bump in the 2021 class. And that's where you start to expect, okay, we've had now these three 10 win seasons. We've had your consecutive uh, Pac-12 South titles. Recruiting should catch up, and I think that that's what recruits look at, and they've seen that measured consistency, but really that next step to, okay, they've been in the Pac-12 championship game two years in a row. Maybe I'm that one difference maker that gets them over the hump in the Pac-12 championship game. in 2021, I think, is where Utah's really positioned themselves to have a fantastic class. But I also think that you don't throw 2020 into the wind just yet because if they can close with, You know, three of those four, Moaie, Fillinger, Carlton, or Phillips, that's a heck of a way to end in the 2020 recruiting cycle, but it gives you more momentum to go into 2021 and showing that the translation from the field is working in recruiting.
1: So which schools are coming into the state of Utah and taking which players?
2: Well, Oregon has always kind of made a living off of cherry picking top players from the state of Utah. Whether it was, you know, Pene Sewell two years ago, going back to Haladi Nada, you know, several years ago, they've, they've had a number of players that they've been able to get, and they're back again. They're coming in, and they get Noah Sewell this time. And Noah Sewell is one of the premier players in all of high school football, a five-star inside linebacker. You know, one of the most unique and kind of rare. Uh, 265-pound linebackers, you'll see move in space. They've always done a really good job in state. USC has always done a good job in the state of Utah. You know, In the last few years, getting J. 2 Tufele a couple years ago uh, away from Utah and BYU. Um, you know, going back to Stanley Haveli and then several players in between, I-, I think USC has done a really good job uh, of getting top kids. And Washington uh, historically has done a good job in it, especially during the Chris Peterson area, Keiko Malloy, who had been on staff at Utah State, done a really good job in the state of Utah. So I I think what that means is two things. It means that, A, Utah, BYU, and Utah State have to recruit that much harder. But, B, there's a very, very large measure of respect for the caliber of players in the state of Utah that so many national programs, it used to be just Pac-12 programs that really came into the state of Utah to recruit. Now you've got programs coast-to-coast, up and down the country, that are coming into Utah to try to get those guys to leave the state.
0: It looks like the Utes might be able to keep five of the top seven players at home, with one of them playing basketball and not playing football, and Mason Lev and then obviously losing Sewell to to Oregon. So I checked some of the other Western states, and it seems like that's kind of unusual. It seems like in most states, the guys are really scattering. The recruiting is uh, certainly regional, and, and for some guys, it's national. And it doesn't look like a lot of schools are having a lot of success locking up their backyard anymore.
2: I actually just did a feature story on that last week just talking about the exodus of West Coast players leaving the state and going and playing nationally. You know, it's one thing if a kid leaves California and goes to play at Washington. It's one thing if a kid leaves Arizona and goes to play at Oregon. You know, if a kid leaves Utah and goes to play Colorado, you understand it. They're staying in the Pac-12 footprint. But when you look at the top 10 players in the state of California, you got one going to Clemson, one going to Alabama, one going to LSU, one going to Ohio State, one going to Georgia. You know that's six of your top nine guys that are looking like they're heading outside of the Pac-12 footprint. And then the guys that are undecided, a couple of them are leaning towards leaving the region as well. So California has really been bleeding these last few years, and I think that that's really starting to trickle down to the rest of the states in the West where they're seeing more and more guys from the Western footprint leaving the Pac-12 region and going to the Big Ten, going to the SEC, going to the ACC, and it's becoming far more common. I've always felt like West Coast kids were the most open to leading the region, but now you're seeing it more and more, and these guys are going to bigger and bigger schools. You've got Alabama, which starts a backfield. that has got a running back from California and a quarterback from Hawaii. That's noticed by the ensuing recruiting classes, that if the big school like Alabama is going to recruit and they're going to come in and take guys from the West Coast, then I think I want to go and be a part of that too because West Coast guys have gone before me and kind of blazed that trail.
1: How hotly contested is the competition among all the schools, not just in the West, but maybe whoever decides to come out here for top-flight quarterbacks?
2: I mean, it's as strong as it's ever been. It's as hotly contested as it's ever been because you want to recruit these quarterbacks, but then you also have to do it essentially – nowadays with the transfer portal with the guarantee that you're going to play as soon as you get to campus so you've got to have a track record of showing that younger quarterbacks are getting a chance to play and maybe getting on the field early on in their career there rather than having to wait like in the old days where you know if you came as a freshman you probably weren't seeing the field till you were a redshirt junior you spent three years learning that system now you have quarterbacks that are putting their names in the portal before they finish their first fall camp so if you're an Alabama, if you're a Clemson, if you're a Georgia, and you're coming and recruiting quarterbacks out west, yeah, you want them from a talent standpoint, but you've also really got to sell the kid and their family and all the people around them that they're going to get a fair shot because that kid's much more likely to put his name in the portal because he's in no man's land. He's in a region where he's not from, where he's not used to being. I remember what happened to Jacob Eason a few years ago. He was a starting quarterback in Georgia as a true freshman, originally committed to Mark Rick, Kirby Smart takes over, convinces Eason to stay. Eason starts his freshman year, starts the first game of the sophomore year, gets hurt, Jake Fromm comes in. When Eason was healthy, Jake Fromm never unstarted. Jake Fromm started every game since. Jacob Eason left. The next year, Justin Fields left. Jacob Eason knew he had no chance beating out a Georgia kid at the University of Georgia. So coaches have to figure out how they're going to sell these kids on trusting them, coming across the country, but then also feeling like they have a legitimate chance to play because quarterbacks as a rule transfer more than any quarterback or any position. And so now you've got to convince these guys not to put their name in the portal and to stick it out, but you better play those guys earlier. They're going to get cold feet and want to leave.
0: Brandon Huffman, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Editor, joining us. So to that point, I think for a long time there was an assumption if a quarterback gets beat out and transfers, well, what are the odds he's really going to blow up? And then we look at the Heisman finalists this year and everybody's transferred and these elite teams that are getting ready for playoff games the transfer quarterbacks it doesn't seem to be that big a deal so should we be looking just just in the west alone asu's losing a quarterback usc's losing a quarterback to san diego state maybe they'll lose another who knows the utah looked like they could have two quarterbacks coming in how many of these guys are going to hit it big are we seeing a transition there
2: I think that you will see a transition. I think you'll see, you know, Well, let me, let me rephrase that. I think you're going to continue to see quarterbacks lead because they want to play. And, you know, the, the long-standing kind of, you know, when, when a quarterback would transfer the, the shade that was thrown at them, was like, oh, they're afraid to compete. No, I think quarterbacks transfer because they want to compete. But unlike four receivers that are playing on the field at the same time or, you know, three linebackers, four linebackers playing at a time, one quarterback can play. So if you're second on the depth chart, you're not going to get a chance to play. If you're even further down the depth chart, the opportunity to play is not even in sight. So you want to go to a situation where you're going to play, and that's why you're seeing more and more quarterbacks leaving and then finding success. But it almost feels like there's two parts to it. There's, the key is if you can get immediate eligibility, whatever you use in your your, your uh, application or whatever it is in, in your appeal to try to play immediately, like Justin Fields is able to do you want to do that because you've probably transferred because you didn't play that year. Now you're going to lose another year to sit out and you're really no valuable to a coaching staff. If you're just a deaf guy and you can't even play if there's an injury. So guys are looking for that immediate appeal to be able to play right away. Uh, but if the NCAA cracks down on that, like they say that they're going to and their archaic transfer policy remains, then I think it hurts the quarterbacks, and now they're finding themselves in the transfer portal basically telling the school that they're at right now they don't want to be there anymore, but also not being very attractive to other schools. So I think we may see, depending on how the NCAA handles the appeals process, you may see a little bit more foot on the brake when it comes to quarterback transferring because there are no guarantees, and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme, reason, or method to how the NCAA rules for quarterbacks to be eligible when one gets to play and then another doesn't. I think that's something quarterbacks have to take into mind. And the last thing is I think some quarterbacks are making a calculated risk, but they overplay their hand. They put themselves in the portal thinking, hey, this is just like high school and I had 40 offers, and now they can't even break the 40 at a school that's five and seven. That's going to be a red flag to a coach at the school that they may be looking at like, hey, if you weren't even good enough to play on a mediocre team, what value are you going to bring to us?
1: Can you handicap the Pac-12 as far as who's where?
2: Oregon right now is at the top, and I think that they've just done a fantastic job under Mario Cristobal in recruiting. Obviously, the way he recruited when he was at Alabama, uh, the way he closed when he was at Alabama, including one year where he was the SEC uh, Recruiter of the Year, and then the National Recruiter of the Year with some of the linemen he closed with, that's carried over to his time at Oregon. He's got a bunch of assistant coaches that have a reputation for being great recruiters that have to live up to pretty much what he expects. Washington right behind them, interestingly enough, even with the coaching transition from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake, it doesn't look like there's going to be any kind of people in Washington's class leading that class. They haven't lost any commits since that transition was announced. In fact, they they gained a commit uh, in Jacoby Covington, who was committed to them at one time, opened things up. A lot of those concerns if Jimmy Lake was even going to be there, and then once Jimmy Lake was announced as head coach, he went back in. Stanford, which seems to lose a player to the portal every day these days, uh, is, is right there looking at third in the Pac-12, and then UCLA, Cal, Colorado kind of round out the top half, uh, but then you got you know, down at the bottom, you got looks glaring. Utah has one of the smallest classes in the Pac-12, so they're at 12th, but they're going to close strong. The one that's the most glaring is USC at 11th. With only 10 commits, they lost a couple of low rank three-stars who decommitted. USC is struggling on the field uh, in, in terms of what people like what they're seeing from Clay Hilton but they're really struggling in recruiting largely because there was so much uncertainty about Clay Hilton.
0: Are either BYU or Utah State punching above their weight? I think that you know,
2: BYU has a really good class, and I think that they're going to be able to close pretty strong. Uh, Utah State, I would say they're probably a little bit disappointed with where their class is at right now, but I think the Mountain West, kind of generally speaking, since the early signing period has been instituted, the Mountain West really seems to pick up more action in the February signing date, after the Pac-12 kind of gets... You know their first pick of the land. Then the Mountain West really gets to kind of close with who they want. So I think Utah State will end up closing strong in the last couple of days. They've gotten some really good commitments. Xavier uh, Steele is a three-star cornerback out of Fullerton, Col- uh, Fullerton College in Fullerton, California. Uh, and then Luke Marion, who's one of my favorite players in this class. He's a top-ten player in the state of Oregon. His father, Brock Marion, former uh, Dallas Cowboy, and Miami Dolphins safety, played at Nevada, was a star at Nevada. And Luke was down to Utah State and Nevada. And Utah State being the first to offer him, that really played a big role in getting him. So they got his commitment last week. Uh, BYU, obviously, I I think that, you know, the losing uh, Andrew Gentry out of Colorado, a player that I think that they felt really good about, a player that they thought that they were going to get, he ended up picking Bronco Mendenhall in Virginia. That was kind of the goal because he's the number two player in the state of Colorado. And most people thought, I think every crystal ball was on BYU for him. uh, And he picked Virginia. But, Some of the other guys they have in this class that are really good, obviously, love Bodie Schoonover from American Fork. Uh, They've got a a really good offensive lineman that I saw earlier in the year in Isaiah Tupo out of Grant High School in Sacramento. Uh, And then Josh Wilson uh, out of Corner Canyon. And trade for linebacker. And then the new commander they just got, I think, yesterday was Micah Harper out of Basha High School in Chandler, Arizona. A fast kid who can play corner. Uh, he's just a speedster. So I think they're actually closing really well. But the Andrew Gentry one is probably going to be one that kind of hurts for a little while because I think that was a shock to everybody.
0: Brandon, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Brandon Huffman, 24 7 sports national recruiting editor. DJ PK brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Final word. Your feedback next. And that's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for your feedback brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $359 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudisaltlakeCity.com. Clint tweeted at us to say someone just called at David DJ James and at P.K. Kinahan and blamed team chemistry to quote camaraderie for Mike Conley's woes. Where in the Facebook hell do people get this stuff? Not to mention his numbers match his career numbers. Hashtag he is who we thought he was. I thought he would be better. Some of his career numbers match his career numbers. The Three-point shooting matches. Some of his career numbers matches career numbers? Yes, but some, some do not. His field some goal percentage. His numbers match his career numbers. Right. For the season, he's at about 36%, which is about seven points below his shooting percentage, career-wise speaking. And your your family advice, your therapy session, has led to a lot of requests. Since PK is now doing real-time family counseling, can I call in with the X to see who gets the kids for which bowl game? That should be in the court documents. <laughs> that should be. <laughs> you could help sort it out. That that's legal. I don't
1: get, I touch nothing that's legal. This stuff here about not being able to watch the bowl game because one person says no, that has nothing to do with any legal stuff. I say, you watch the game. What's she going to do? You turn it on. She's going to keep turning it off. And then you turn it right back on. So then you get into the battle of wills. Turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it on. Did turn, you da, see da, da, did da. You Drew's story about this yesterday? I did not. So on Twitter, it, it, rest in peace, is putting his stepmother, uh, said, We're watching an NFL game when he's younger. She walked over with a pair of scissors. They weren't
0: supposed to be watching it and clipped the cord and said, That won't be happening again. As on Twitter. I saw that. That was pretty funny. That was. And that was the end of NFL football. Okay, but that's a Sunday issue. That's a that ch- is that that's is. a that's a church doctrinal thing, as opposed to Christmas Eve yeah, and uh, family time with right. the cranberry salad or. Whatever.
1: And you were a child. I don't think he was twenty-five, or this uh, person, was Wes, this, uh, was thirty-seven. 37 yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because if you saw if you're thirty-seven and you see a woman walking with
0: scissors or a knife, you step in and intercede we've had uh, we've had uh, Jay drew on the show multiple times we should mention there's a lot of uh, shout outs of support on uh, on our Twitter feed people liking and retweeting the stories a few comments on them so he lost his uh just got the family funeral today I guess correct yes yeah. so a lot of shout out of support for Jay there I express my condolences over the weekend DJ and PK we are out of time Tony and Austin are coming up next we'll see you